Hi, welcome to Positively Positive. If you're new here, I go by Sam and I have genital herpes, HSV2. Today, I'm sharing my journey with sexuality after diagnosis. How I went from dissociated and numb to sexy, powerful, and in control. If you just got your diagnosis, or if you've been struggling for a while, wherever you are on this path right now, I'm here to tell you that there is sex and sexuality after a herpes diagnosis. You gotta trust me. It's gonna be okay if you choose that. For me, it took some work. A few unexpected twists and turns, a hell of a lot of education, and your girl is here, better than ever. This is a big old jam-packed magnum-sized episode, and I have filled it with talking about the second first time, getting turned down, updates on the guy I got herpes from, how I got ready for sex again after the loss of self that can come with a herpes diagnosis by upgrading my sexuality through learning, unlearning, facing my own stigmas about sex, getting to know my body, phone sex, buying the wrong lube, John Travolta, boundaries, my sex kit, an elevated sexuality, and a whole lot more. Because uh, now that I'm here, mm, I don't want to be the old me, who was really cool, but I'm on another level now, and your girl ain't going back. One thing I want to emphasize is something I heard at a Lizzo concert a few years back that I'd heard variations of before, yeah, yeah, but when she said it, I fucking felt that shit and I finally internalized the message. And I've thought about it often since diagnosis. She shouted into the crowd in this goddess-like, gospel-preaching, uplifting, powerful rock and roll way that only she can. You're the hero of your own story. No one is coming to save you. You're the hero in this one. That is my message for myself, and that is my message for you. No one is coming to give you back your sexuality. No one is coming to put the light back in your eyes. It's harsh, I get it. But it's also very exciting to me because it means we get to do it. It means we are the hero in this one. You and me, baby, and I know because I've done it. At the end of this episode, <sighs> I'm going to share something very special with you for the first time ever. And I'm so excited to do it. I've been wanting to do this for a very long time. So thanks for being here. <sighs> Let's talk about herpes, baby. Okay, so I'm just going to get this out of the way off the top. The second first time. I actually got that phrase from a short film by that title on YouTube. Look it up. It's on my website. It's fabulous. The second first time is, you guessed it, the first time you have sex after a positive STI diagnosis, and if you're here, I'm guessing it's herpes, just like me. In the beginning, I felt like I had to have sex to prove that I was okay with having herpes. Like all this internal and educational and emotional work didn't mean shit if I couldn't bang a dude. It, it was almost as if the power to accept my diagnosis lied with potential partners and their willingness to have sex with me. 
which is quite silly in retrospect. The power always lied with me to accept it. And I didn't want to just use someone and their body to prove a point to myself. That wouldn't be fair to them as a fucking human being and it made me feel gross. I wouldn't want to be treated like that. But I still felt like I had to. I felt this weird pressure to go bang randos. Like, that was never my style. Why should my style change? People go on and on about how this doesn't change who you are. So why was I pressuring myself to change in this way? Why was I thinking I couldn't possibly be sex positive without having sex all the time? Well, <laughs> being sex positive doesn't mean you're out banging folks left, right, and center. It means you don't judge anyone's choices, preferences, or experiences, including your own. Including not shitting on yourself for taking your time to process after an STI diagnosis. It means you're educated, you practice consent, and you like what you like and you don't like what you don't like. Once I realized what I was doing to myself, I took a break from the dating apps. I stepped away from the herpes content. I just fucking gave myself some room to breathe, to not think about herpes every living second of every single day. I will always recommend stepping the fuck away from consuming herpes content. So, when I actually had my second first time, I was not nervous. <laughs> I thought I would be. I built it up in my head as this huge thing, this milestone that I had to hit, this event that I would conquer. But it ended up not being a huge thing. It was normal. It was fun and I felt safe and it was sexy and just another part of that day. I was shocked at how I felt after, actually. I was so nervous I was going to be super deflated or nervous or anxiety-ridden or guilty after it happened. I wasn't. I was also scared of the flip side, that I would be over the moon and ecstatic and euphoric. And make no mistake, I was fucking proud of myself, oh I was happy. but. I wasn't peaking at either end of extreme emotion, and that surprised me and made me really happy. It was really fucking cool. A lot of that had to do with the fact that I didn't plan it. <laughs> yes, I'd been thinking about it since diagnosis, once I got past that part of yourself that tells you you're never gonna have sex again, which is not true, but the plan I did have in my head never happened. The opportunity presented itself, I wasn't expecting the weekend to go the way it did, the circumstances that led up to it were not part of my I'm conquering herpes plan. It happened organically and naturally, and that's how I used to have sex. I never planned out my sex before, yeah, I'd shave my legs if I thought it might happen that day, which, funnily enough, the best sex I've ever had is always when I'm not, quote unquote, prepared. But. I had been talking to and going on some dates with a lovely gentleman and during an amazing, surprising weekend of me just saying yes to super fun, adventurous dates like I would have before herpes, 
we ended up in a bedroom and we had the sexy times. I guess if you were counting, it would have been the fourth date, but the third date was the night before and we were together basically the entire weekend. There was an unexpected road trip. It was a whole thing. Oh my God. But Sam, did you disclose? You have to plan for sex when you have herpes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so yes, I did before we were anywhere near a bedroom. I disclosed on our second date. I actually had said no to a super adventurous second date he asked me on because he didn't yet know my status, which it made me really sad, to be honest, to say no to that because I like saying yes to life and fun and new things, but I didn't feel like I wanted to do that much with someone who didn't know because I felt like I wouldn't be enjoying myself as much. I barely knew him at that point. I just, I didn't want to. I didn't want herpes in the back of my mind for that. So, on our actual second date, which was pretty low-key, I told him. I made sure he understood. He was actually already very informed on it. <laughs> what? Amazing! And I texted him a stand-up comedy routine about herpes when I got home. Drew Michael, it's on my website. I told him if he ever had any more questions, I was always open to talking about it. This man knew, through and through, that I had herpes. I like to tell people far away from a bedroom when their parts are not already filled with blood and they can take in information, episode 10 if you want my step-by-step -step guide to disclosure. And side note, you can still have one night stands. I know lots of people who are age positive disclose and have healthy, fun, awesome one night stands. I'm just talking about one specific experience of mine here, which happens to be my first time after diagnosis. It's completely normal to be nervous about sex after herpes. It, that makes sense, like that's a real thing. It's okay right up until it happens, during the act, after the next time, let me be very fucking clear. Nerves are normal and they're okay. And I did get in my head afterwards for a few hours the next day. I was like, oh God, did I dream that disclosure? Was it really real? Did we have those conversations? What if he didn't know the standup was about herpes? Just blatantly an entire routine solely about herpes. What if he doesn't remember? Trust me, people don't fucking forget when you tell them you have herpes, and he hadn't. <laughs> if anyone ever pulls that shit on you, tell them to go fuck themselves, because you won't be. But <laughs> my paranoia did kick in a little bit, which is a normal side effect of herpes. But it went away once I had some water, a shower, got some food in my body to help my brain function properly. I highly recommend keeping the lines of communication open and honest about all things sex related. Of course, both people's sexual health is included in that. But you do not need to harp on your herpes status all the time. If you fucking told them and you guys talked about it, move on the way you're both most comfortable doing so. Get in there and have some fun. Park that Big Mac truck right in this little garage. My neck, my back, lick my pussy and my crack. Cause tonight is the night when to become one. Okay, we're done with that. So, <laughs> how the hell was I not nervous when it happened? other than just not planning for it. Well, I had sex when I was ready to have sex. 
and that is different for everyone. There is no timeline, there is no time limit, we all process things differently, and that is okay. So, how was I ready to have sex again after herpes diagnosis? That is the bulk of this episode, and it is way more important than the fact that I had sex with a super hot dude the first time. <laughs> Low key flex, high key flex, he was smoking. Let's start at the beginning. Freshly diagnosed little Sammy Sam. Who? No, seriously. Who? Because there can be a little bit of an identity crisis when you're first diagnosed with herpes. I've talked about my experiences with that throughout the episodes, but I want to talk now about that as it directly relates to my sexuality and me as a physical and sexual being. So yes, at first there was the panic and the fear and being overwhelmed, and that resulted in me completely disconnecting from my body. I did not feel like a woman. I felt asexual, I had no libido, this part of myself that I didn't define myself by, but our sexuality is part of us. And that felt like it had been ripped away. I wasn't able to masturbate for roughly, I think, the first month or two. And when I give rough timelines of, you know, my phases, do not compare your own healing and accept, sorry, acceptance timeline to mine or anyone else's. This is not a straight road. And I have bounced back and forth a few times, so no timeline comparisons. Capiche? Great. So, along with not being able to masturbate, I also didn't look in the mirror much. Which, for me, <laughs> is a big deal. I'm vain, I'll admit it. Not narcissistic, there's a big difference. But most days, I like the way I look. But now, when I looked in the mirror, I wasn't seeing myself. It was like <laughs> looking at a reflection of something else or nothing at all. The best way I can describe it is a combination of body dysmorphia and dissociation. Body dysmorphia is a mental health condition where your brain can hyper-focus on a small detail of your appearance and or literally register a different image than the one that is being reflected in the mirror. Dissociation is anywhere from mild to severe detachment and disconnection from yourself, your surroundings, and reality. It's a psychological coping and defense mechanism, often in response to stress. Ayo! I highly recommend doing your own research on dissociation. I really think it can validate a lot of what you may be feeling right now if you're newly diagnosed or things you may have felt in the past. This is absolutely what I was experiencing. It felt like I was living in a dream state, an alternate reality, my life was not real. The dissociation between my circumstances and my identity and my body was very real. The image in the mirror was not right. It was not me, it was nothing. Everything was nothing. <laughs> Which is a dark place to be. Is this maybe a good time for a Mulan interlude?
So good. So, slowly my reflection came back. I started noticing my curves again. I started being like, hey, <laughs> hey, you're kind of like sexy. <laughs> okay, what? Who are you, girl in the mirror? Hello. Until I was at the point where I would catch a glimpse and be like, yeah, it fucked me, cool. It's important to note that while this was all happening, I was getting extremely educated on HSV and absorbing other people's experiences from support groups. I would not have gotten my body back without educating my mind. <sighs> After my reflection came masturbation, which was scary at first. It took me a long time to even be able to touch myself, let alone use my own fingers down there. That made me really uncomfortable and paranoid. It actually always kind of has, but then I got over it and my libido came back in bits and pieces and then turned into the femme fatale she is today. Well, either femme fatale or that weird creepy female hormone monster from the show Big Mouth. Either way, thank fucking God, because I was really, truly worried my libido might be gone forever. Okay, so... Even when I could masturbate again, God, how many times am I going to say that word? <laughs> I still wasn't getting as wet as I normally would. I read a few horror stories that said I'd never get my natural vaginal lubrication back, which was utter bullshit, but it scared me. So be patient with your body. There is no timeline here. I'm going to keep reminding you of that. Not only did my natural lubrication come back, it came back... <laughs> with a new big girl attitude and a season pass to the lazy river. Tide pool? Listen, I'm not sure how to politely tell you that my pussy was getting wetter than ever, okay? Bring a bucket and a mop for this wet ass pussy. Ugh. God bless my family if they ever listen to this. I'm gonna get more into this newfound sexuality in a minute, but I'm gonna try to keep this as linear as possible. So next step, trying to fuck. Listen to episode nine for my first attempt, one month into diagnosis, telling my hookup I have herpes. And if you already have, fun fact, he reached out to me months after, saying he wished he had treated me with more compassion and he thought of me often. <laughs> All I sent was a thumbs up emoji. I don't have time for you, fuck boy. Anyways. Long story short, I tried to fuck, didn't work. Probably a good thing because I was still experiencing prodrome that I didn't realize was prodrome. So I was like, fuck it. Why don't I just wait out the first six months of this and see how my body deals with it? Everyone says that's the most intense it will ever be. I'll just avoid telling real people until I know exactly how my body is gonna deal with herpes and then I'll be able to tell partners that. Now. I was disclosing on Tinder like a madwoman. I've disclosed on dating apps more times than I can count. I never really intended to sleep with most of the guys I told on dating apps. I just wanted practice, especially in the beginning. My six month idea <laughs> did not last long. That idea got tossed, unlike me. I started talking to a guy I really actually liked was getting that weird, excited feeling, like, oh shit. 
I think I could actually see a real relationship with this guy. Fuck me. I gotta tell him. So I did. About two weeks into talking almost every day, and... He was not okay with it. I think his initial reaction was like, <laughs> Yeah, that's not good. So that was a fucking knife in the heart. We talked about it, and he was lovely. I was happy to educate him. He didn't know anything about herpes. He was very respectful, but he was not okay with taking a chance in that way with me. He asked me, where do we go from here? I was like, we don't go anywhere from here. If you ever have questions in the future about this, please reach out anytime. But other than that, we're done here. Oh, for two, baby! My status was being accepted left, right, and center by everyone else on dating apps. People were still asking me out. People were still trying to bang me. They were planning our sex. What the fuck was happening with this guy? This formula of uber, uber positivity and culture of badasses online who've taken control of their life was not adding up for me. I was doing everything right. I was disclosing positively. I had started a fucking podcast. I had my strong sense of self. What the fuck was this shit? Thankfully, I am a true goddess and I had jammed the message of this does not define you and you are still you, this does not change that, into my brain, down my fucking throat, until it was part of my goddamn DNA after diagnosis. And this rejection didn't smash my sense of self. It fucking sucked, don't get me wrong, but I was like, okay, do we need to cry here? Yes? <laughs> okay, yes we do. Cried it out, I think probably for two days. <laughs> Tried really hard not to judge my emotions, picked myself back up, and was determined to try again. I also learned that for me, two weeks is too long to wait to have the sexual health talk. Going forward, if I knew I li liked the person and would probably sleep with them, I would have that conversation sooner. Side story for a minute. If you've listened to episode eight, telling the person who gave me herpes, I'll take this time to update you. He said he would get tested and get back to me, and after two months, I hadn't heard from him on the subject. Excuse me, I just burped. We'd sent an Instagram message about each other's posts here and there, but no real conversation. I was starting to wonder if he wasn't getting back to me because he didn't get tested. Was he just too nervous to go get tested? Did he? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Did he already know his status? Did he knowingly give me herpes? Was I, <sighs> was I just another victim to him? Was I the recipient of a hateful act? Had I misjudged him that much? Now that was a rough limbo to be in. Was he just out there infecting other women? Was it my responsibility to protect them? Answer, no, absolutely not. 
And that all took me a hot minute to work through and process. I had to face the fact that I was going to have to be the one to follow up. And there was a chance I would not get closure here. Fuck. I cried a lot to my therapist about this. Even though it was a casual thing, he had always been respectful in every way. This was different. I had no idea how to process the sudden lack of communication. I reached out to him, I want to say three months after I contracted herpes from him, three months after we spoke on the phone, and he said he would absolutely get tested and get back to me, which I had believed 100%. He sounded serious and mature and caring and amazing on that phone call. But now, he would not talk about it. I messaged him to ask if he ever did what he said he would, i.e. get tested, and he avoided the question. He literally fucking said to me, is there something you want to talk about? Um, fucking hello, yes, the answer to the direct question I just asked you? So I said, just the answer to that doesn't seem like something one forgets about, but you never know, lol. Fucking idiot. I haven't heard from him since. He saw my message and never responded. <laughs> Great. Except for an Instagram story reply months later, which was so awkward and I didn't respond. How are you going to reply to something I post months later when the last message in our conversation is me asking for a straight answer and you ignoring it? He still follows me. The internet is fucked up. So, <sighs> I never got closure on that. I will probably never know if he knew his status or not when we had sex. But honestly, his lack of respect and communication was enough for my mind to change about him. His avoidance made me realize he isn't worthy of any of more, any more, of my energy. And that was all the closure I needed. I hope one day he finds his peace with it. I hope he owns up to his behavior and finds grace. I tried to be that. And if he ever brings it up, I'll be there to provide support and education, but I ain't holding my breath. I've let that and him go. And I would like to dedicate this song to him. And we both know all the truth I could tell. I'll just say this is I wish you farewell. I hope you're somewhere praying. Praying. Your soul is changing, changing. I hope you find your peace falling on your knees, praying. Fucking beautiful song. Big fan. Okay. <laughs> My new sexuality, since trying to fuck, wasn't happening for me. In all honesty, it's probably a blessing those first two guys early on didn't care to sleep with me. I thought I was ready, but there was so much more I was about to learn and internalize to get to that place of readiness. I was still finding myself watering down my sexuality, not saying things I normally would, not making innuendo, watering down my flirting, not making sexual comments to guys I was chatting with. I felt stupid. And I didn't feel like me, and I hate that feeling. 
I would say this shit before. Why shouldn't I say it now? Just because I have herpes? Fuck that. So, how do we get there? Let's talk about real sexual education. How I got it on Instagram, which is a horrific reflection of our school system, our society, the absolute failings of our young people, myself included, and we are going to unpack my own internalized stigmas. Fun. First and foremost, HSV herpes education. Obviously, go do that, listen to my other episodes and shit, do your technical research, but what I'm talking about is the unexpected things I learned about after diagnosis. The STI educators on Instagram led me to start following more general sex-positive accounts. I started following vulva accounts. Hell, I fucking learned and got comfortable with the word vulva. Vagina is the inner tube that connects the uterus to our vulva, which is the correct word for external female genitals, including the labia and the clitoris. If you want to impress me, say the word vulva and stop using the word vagina to describe the entire pussy. You can just say pussy if you want, that works for everything and it's a bit sexier. But the distinction must be known. Hmm. I feel like I'm gonna have a lot of voices in this episode. Alright, here we go. I started following sex toy accounts. I started following kink accounts, period accounts, period product accounts. Hint, pads and hemlons are not the only way to deal with your period. Ah, why are we taught that? <laughs> I've started following sexual wellness accounts. I bought a vibrator and lube for the first time in my life. I used to think I was superior or some shit for not needing lube or toys, which is a fucked up stigma I had been conditioned to believe. Lube makes everything better and is a necessary staple in the bedroom and toys are fun. Excuse me while I finally take the driver's seat of my own sexuality, thank you very much. Buy toys and buy lube. Use it, it's sexy on dicks, on vajayjays, on the bum bum, whatever glorious parts you have, my friend, use lube. Plus, it decreases friction, which is a common trigger for outbreaks. Okay, there are three main types of lube and a few rules, okay? We have water-based lube, oil-based lube, and silicone-based lube. I bought the wrong kind for my new hot pink silicone vibrator because I didn't know lube had rules, okay? I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I bought a silicone vibrator and silicone luby lube so they would be matchy-matchy and all would be good in the world. Psych! Don't use silicone lube with silicone toys. It can deteriorate the toy's surface over time. It's totally fine with harder material toys like hard plastic or quartz or whatever. Water or oil-based lube for silicone toys. If you're using a condom, we will not be using oil-based lube, which means no coconut oil. Any oil breaks down condoms. We don't want this. (laughs) Water-based or silicone-based lubricant only when condoms are being used. Silicone usually doesn't have to be applied as often as water-based, it tends to last a bit longer. So basically, water-based lube is good for everything, no oils with condoms, and no silicone on silicone. You should have seen my face when I learned that lube had rules. My vibrator had arrived in the mail, I was super excited, I felt nervous but powerful and sexy, and then I realized I shouldn't use the lube I just bought. 
There I was, sitting on my bed, holding this hot pink vibrator in one hand, holding the very informative and sex-positive pamphlet that came in the box in the other hand, just like, wait, what? I can't use this with this, but they matchy-match. I think I started crying. <laughs> I was trying so hard to be sexual again, and I couldn't even get lube right? My friend called me and I put her on speaker and told her she fucking laughed at me and reminded me of the time I drunkenly forced her to order vaginal dilators online for her vaginismus, which, if you don't know, vaginismus is an involuntary condition where your vaginal muscles contract and will not allow anything to enter. It makes penetrative sex impossible, for some it makes tampon and finger insertion impossible, it's a highly psychological condition with extreme physical effects. See, I was like a little baby sex positive advocate before. I'd been highly invested in my friend's vagina for a long time, and I've been by her side while she deals with vaginismus for many years now. I believe in this bitch, and I believe in her pussy. We had bought <laughs> those damn dilators that night in a drunken, supportive haze, and that purchase didn't have any order mishaps. We were laughing and crying on the phone, me in part at how beautiful and uplifting and informative this sex toy company brochure was. Why had I never been told some of this stuff before? Why had sexuality and pleasure never been framed in such a positive light like this before? I was crying at how beautiful it was and how frustrated I was that I was never taught this way. And we were dying of laughter at how ridiculous the whole situation was, hers and mine. Just crying and laughing. Apparently I do that a lot. <laughs> and side note, because of me talking about herpes online and finding sex positivity and body positivity online, I've also found vaginismus positivity, education, and awareness. I sent her some pages I found, the accounts. She had no idea other people were talking about this, let alone publicly. She's actually working with a specialist now and finally dealing with the emotional trauma that led her to vaginismus, and I've seen her open up in ways that I had never seen from her before. It's fucking beautiful. But let's get back to me. <laughs> I ordered the right water-based lube for my silicone vibrator and started exploring with it. I felt a bit weird about it at first, it was something new, but I was determined to become sexually engaged again. And that started with me, myself, and I. I was worried about a vibrator being so good that real dicks wouldn't compare. <laughs> but that hasn't happened. In fact, sometimes I don't even like the vibrating options. I just like the pressure and the feeling of the toy without it having a grand mal seizure inside of me. But the vibration is definitely growing on me. And breaking news, vibrators don't desensitize the clitoris long term. Yes, you can get overstimulated and go a bit numb after, but that is temporary. Just like penises have a refractory period after sex. Clits and bubbles do not wear out, neither do vaginas. We have been fed such bullshit about these body parts. More on that later. So, I had some other stigmas. Not about herpes. I had stigmas about sex. <laughs> and people who talk about it. I had to deal with that. I thought I was sex positive before, but I had a lot of subconscious programming to undo. Lots of that came from growing up in a conservative religious family, a lack of exposure to really any positive conversation about a woman's body, let alone sex or pleasure, 
our shit education systems, shit media representation, and living in a patriarchal society. Yeah, that'll do it. I had to confront inner stigma about what and who sex positive people were. I think uh, somewhere in my deep subconscious I had this idea that people who spoke about sex publicly or online or in person or claimed to educate on it, they were cool. I had friends who did it and I fully supported them, but there might, <laughs> there might be a possibility that they were really just using sex positivity as a cover and an excuse for their own depravity and need for attention and shock value. But now, wait, 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 one minute. I had started talking about sex online. I had started talking about STIs online. Was I? No. Was I one of them? Was I a sex positive person? But I'm not like depraved, I'm not slutty, I'm not any of those things, so... Wait. <laughs> oh, wait one minute, people I used to think were secretly like that have taught me a great amount about my body and sexuality and maturity and communication and acceptance. They're the last thing from depraved, which means my subconscious stigma was not based in reality? Yeah, fucking newsflash, Sam. Stigma is not based in reality. It never is. So that had to go. <laughs> we are reprogramming my tender little brain, conscious and subconscious. Let's talk about safe sex and how it doesn't exist. Safer sex exists, though. What are you talking about? It's just semantics. Well, I love semantics, and words do matter. Herpes and HPV are spread through skin-to-skin -skin contact. Condoms do not 100% prevent the spread of these viruses. They fucking help. A whole lot. But it's not a 0% chance. And most people don't know they carry either of these viruses. Sex has emotional risk. Sex has physical risk. Sex has vulnerability. Unexpected pregnancies happen, condoms break, bodily fluids are shared, and they carry things like chlamydia, gonorrhea, HIV. 100% safe sex literally doesn't exist. Sex comes with risk, and that's okay. We've all accepted that the benefits far outweigh the risks, and we practice safer sex based on whatever we're comfortable with. Reminder that all, yes, all STIs are treatable or completely manageable. Yay for modern medicine. Hmm, is now a good time to transition into talking about porn? Great. So, diagnosis accepted. Stigmas, all out of the way. Masturbation is a go. Vibrator on deck. Lube on deck. Now what is this pornography they speak of? The people seem to like it. I've never given it a go. We are in an exploratory time of my life. I shall now watch the pornography. So that lasted a total of three hours. I watched some homemade videos and some professional porn. I don't know what the hell is going on with professional porn, but it did not make me feel good. The homemade videos from couples did. <laughs> I stuck with those ones. 
the ones where they actually seem to be genuinely enjoying themselves and their partners and care and consent were present at all times no matter the scenario, yeah, those ones. But after those three hours, I decided this probably wasn't a healthy habit for me personally. The images were already burned into my retinas and that was months ago, even now. And I still remember some of it pretty vividly. I just don't need that in my head. I'd rather think about the people I actually have sex with and make up my own fantasies for masturbation in my head. I've got a swell imagination. I like using it. And sex that doesn't involve me, I'm not all that interested in. And if you are, that's cool. Pay for your porn from the actual creators, support them on their Patreons or their OnlyFans. Don't support platforms that exploit sex workers, or anyone for that matter. If these people are getting you off, the least you could do is watch their original content where it was originally posted and or go pay them. Give them a tip. Thank you. Next, bum bum bum, I would like to talk about agency. Agency over our own bodies and minds. I'm a size hat woman, I was born this way, I identify this way, I'm very comfortable with it, and if you're a penis owner or a straight dude or a transgender person or anyone else listening to this part, you might think you don't relate or it doesn't apply to you, but I encourage you to think about your own body and how you relate to it. It's important for straight men to understand what so many women they have sex with go through. Because I know for a fact, I'm not the only one who has been on this journey, positive purpose status or not. So if that's you, thank you for being here. Thank you for making an effort to understand someone different than you. If a partner sent you here to help you understand them, A plus for being a great partner, this is how we move forward. Together. So, agency. I pulled this from Wikipedia. In sociology terms, aka social science, agency is defined as the capacity of individuals to act independently and to make their own free choices. By contrast, structure is those factors of influence like social class, religion, gender, ethnicity, ability, customs, etc. that determine or limit an agent in their decisions. The influences from structure and agency are debated. It is unclear to what extent a person's actions are constrained by social systems. Now, this is definitely me peeling back layers of subconscious programming. I am here to tell you that those structure factors, those social systems, played a huge part in me avoiding my vulva. For me, those factors I have identified are religion, gender, and customs, which includes lack of education and shame. Because make no mistake, lack of education and shame are customs of our culture. Call it the patriarchy, if you want, I think that's a broad label that people freak out about, so let's get deeper. This has been pointed out to me by several amazing women. Penis owners have a relationship with their penis. What do I mean? Well, they touch their penises every single day. They hold them to pee from the time they learn how to not pee in their parents' face on a changing table or not pee in a diaper. They see every single day. We are taught about wet dreams and erections and ejaculation. What about vulvas? We actually never have to touch them for any functional purpose. 
and children are often dissuaded from touching theirs at all. We don't see all their parts when we go to the bathroom. We don't see all their parts when we're naked in front of a mirror. Many of us don't have a relationship with our vulva. We don't even use the word. We don't know what our vaginas look like. I had rarely looked at my own up close. I was kind of intimidated by it. I was unknowledgeable about my own body parts. I'd never really looked down there. I'd never examined myself. Carrie Washington's character in Little Fires Everywhere has an amazing line from season one, episode two, where she says, big events happen all the time to vaginas, but we as a society have a deep discomfort calling them by name, let alone regarding them with respect. Have you really looked at your own? Or has anyone here? How can we see ourselves when we're afraid to look at who we really are? Oh, fucking fantastic scene of a room full of grown-ass women, mothers, uncomfortable, talking about what's between their legs. We're not educated about our bodies. We definitely aren't educated on female pleasure, which, hello, we literally have a body part. That's entire God-given purpose is pleasure. I know you've probably heard that before, but have you ever really thought about it? Like, we are supposed to be pleasured sexually. Penises have other purposes. Other purposes. They're used to pee. They're used to ejaculate for procreation. The clitoris is not any of those things. Our teeth were made to chew food, our eyes were made to see, and our clitoris was made to be pleasured. The sky is blue and puppies are adorable. These are literal facts of life. I knew what felt good, but I didn't have agency over my own body, and I didn't know that I didn't have that. I think on some level I knew I ignored a huge part of my body, but I never addressed it. I'm obsessed with my hair my own face. To be honest, I love looking in the mirror because I'm curious and obsessive with every detail and pore on my skin. I might have a problem. But my point is, I had never inspected my vulva the way I had every other inch of my body. Why not? What was it that kept me ignoring this huge, powerful, life-giving, orgasmic part of my own body? Why did I let men put themselves inside me when I was too uncomfortable to put my own fingers inside? Yeah, <laughs> this is another graphic episode. You know what you came here for, YOLO. Well, the good news is that after an STI diagnosis, you can get very comfortable looking at yourself. I know exactly what my vulva looks like. I really like the vulva gallery on Instagram. It's cartoons and drawings of vulvas of different shades and skin colors. It's fucking beautiful and helps get you more familiar with the imagery. I fully have had an hour long crying and anxiety fit because I hadn't seen any images or diagrams that looked exactly like my vagina before I found these accounts. I've never seen anyone else's so I had nothing to compare it to. And Google Images is fucking horrific. I wasn't gonna go there. I have learned my Google Images lesson, okay? Even most medical diagrams are fucking shit. I know exactly what is going on inside my vagina now. <laughs> Yo girl is a pro at self-exams now. Makeup mirror, flashlight, let's go, baby. And by the way, vaginas can look all sorts of ways. 
hymen and polyp tissue are completely normal and can show up in all sorts of conversations, I guess, combinations. And we never talk about that. We talk about the lips, the clit, and the vagina, but there's actually way more going on down there. (laughs) If any straight guys are still listening, sorry to make women's bodies sound even more complicated for you. (laughs) They're not really, you just have to learn. I've actually seen my cervix up close on camera at the gynos. Get your recommended pap test. It was fucking cool. I was tense on the table, obviously. They've got a speculum shoved up me. And the nurse was holding my hand like, Are you sure you want to see the screen? I was like, Absolutely, bitch. The microscopic camera is not why I'm tense right now. I have questions. We will be going through this monitor pixel by pixel lovely cervix, little donut looking gal. Now what is that? And what is that tissue? No, no, a little to the left, lower, lower, great. Oh, it's normal? Great, thank you. Now do you see this? What about this? (laughs) Thankfully, the doctor was graceful and answered all my questions as we probed around the inside of my body. Which brings me to the point of do not be afraid to ask your doctor's questions. They are there to help you, and when you are in the room, it is your room. This is another part of taking agency over our bodies. If you don't like your doctor, look for a new one. Ask your friends who they see. Do they like them? Do they take referrals? Tell your family doctor you want a new referral. Don't make me bring Lizzo back in to remind us. Who's the hero here? That's fucking right. Hopefully you said me there. I was trying to be like Dora and make you answer. (laughs) Another thing that boosted my agency and my sexuality was an incredible book titled Pussy, A Reclamation by Regina Thomasauer. Holy fucking shit. Yes. This book. Oh God. Sorry. I had to burp again. I'm just burpy today. Anyways, this book, Pussy, A Reclamation is an absolute must read for women with vulvas. It's not about herpes, it's about pleasure and femininity and exploration. Any explanation of this book I give will be lackluster, just fucking buy it. I was skeptical, as I usually am, (laughs) but go in with an open mind and fucking get at me when you're done. I have force fed it to my girlfriends now, I'll probably be, be, be buying more copies in the future. So I was going to call this next part my return to sexuality, but that's not what it is, if I'm being honest. I had surface level sexuality before. I had sex, I enjoyed sex, I had adventurous sex, but it was not my full capacity. I thrive off of information and analysis. That's who I am, and I hadn't done that analysis with my sexuality until now. This was not a return. This was an elevation, an upgrade to the real me, a new climax. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) Good one, Sam. I started flirting with guys online and that led to full-on bone sex, which I had never really done before. Now, I wasn't just picking any random person. I did it with people who were able to have decent conversation and seemed like nice people who followed my lead in that direction. I wasn't responding to the guys whose first message is, hey sexy, wanna fuck? I ignore that shit, I suggest you do too. I don't take dating apps very seriously, I don't put a lot of weight in them, I don't get mad when people send messages like that, I just ignore those people. But apps have actually been great for me on my Lil Harp Perp journey. 
sexting was really fun. And it was a safe space to practice my communication skills. Practice asking for what I want. Not that I didn't before, but sometimes I didn't before. <laughs> this way, I got to be in my own home, my own bed, cuddled up and safe. I could turn the phone off whenever I wanted. I think it's a really cool way to explore your sexuality after a diagnosis. And no one ever seemed to mind the sexy talk, especially when the person is a million miles away, you know you're never gonna meet anyways. So it's a really cool way to articulate what turns you on, what you want, and identify people's consent practices. It's also a good way to practice saying no. I actually don't like that, but what I would like is... It's fun. Have fun. Ask for things you've never wanted before. Or, that's not what I meant. Yeah, I guess. Ask for things you've never wanted before if you want them now. What I meant to say was, ask for things you've never asked for before, but you do want. Since my diagnosis, I've been much less tolerant of ignorance. I don't blame people for being ignorant, I was, but if you can't hold a mature conversation about bodies or sex in general, or you're not even open to doing that, I have no interest in talking to you, let alone bringing up STIs or my status. People often say herpes gives you a bullshit detector. Turns out, that's absolutely true. I actually changed my bio on Tinder to include 50 points to Slytherin and guys who know the difference between the words vulva and vagina. It's playful, it's fun, and it attracts guys who can actually step up to those conversations. As much as I still want to fuck gym rats, now I want to fuck gym rats who actually care about sexual health and sexual education. I'm pleased to report that they exist. A rare breed, perhaps, but I've developed a good eye. My standards were already high, and it's not even that I have higher standards now, it's that I decide if people are worth my time or not. Okay, I guess that's having higher standards. And I've gotten really good at trusting my body when it doesn't want someone to know. And that has really worked out for me. There have been a few guys who I've gone out with and I've thought, okay, they're cute, they're cute, I would have sex with them. But on the dates, my body just didn't feel like telling them at that time. There was no sex on these dates, and I planned to tell them the next date. And both those guys that I felt that way with ended up messaging me in the following week saying that they had met someone else and they were going to give that a go exclusively. So my body knew I wasn't supposed to be going out with them anymore, even before they did. My body knew it was unnecessary to tell them my herpes status. I know it's a wild thing to say, actually it's not, but... When you shut your rationalizing, justifying, loophole-making brain off and just trust your gut, your pussy if you have one, our bodies know things. Everyone I've told in person when my body felt it was okay to do so has been okay with me having herpes. Well, except Mr. Episode 9, but we're done talking about him. And if I had told those other guys, that would have been fine. I planned on telling them, but the need never arose, and my body knew that. Another thing I've tried to stop doing is chasing orgasms. When you're constantly thinking about the end result, you don't enjoy the ride, literally, <laughs> solo or with a partner. Once I gave that chase up, which is something I did on my own before I got into bed with anyone else, my orgasms actually got more intense when they did arrive, which is dope. <laughs> 
but I don't orgasm every time and that's okay. I really like sex. I like everything about it. And by the way, sex is not just PNV penetration. Oral is sex. Fingering is sex. The view that is so common, one I used to have, that sex is just an act a man does to a woman and it ends when he ejaculates, it's really messed up. Sex isn't all about one person and it's not all about penetration. If it was, I don't really need to be here. Like, what the fuck is the point of me being here if it's just about that? All those other things make me feel really good. That other stuff is pleasurable to be pleasurable to me. That is sex. That is literally how I am sexually gratified. How are we gonna pretend that that doesn't count as actual sex? Newsflash, we're not. Also, the G-spot is not an actual body part. <laughs> Surprise! Yes, some vaginas are super sensitive in one spot up there, but some aren't. It's not a medically proven thing. It's not part of our actual anatomy. Sorry! Even Cosmo Magazine released a great article on this and actually, oh god, third burp. Yeah, I guess that's just what it is today. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Cosmo actually took ownership of perpetuating this fantasy body part. I also encourage everyone to look up what the entire clitoris looks like. It's basically a wishbone with bulbs on either side and all of that baby is super sensitive and fills with blood when aroused. The little beanie baby on top is just the tip of the iceberg and stimulating all parts of the clitoris or finding the spots that feel good for you is super fun. I actually bought a subscription years ago to omgyes.com. It's that female pleasure site Emma Watson raved about which then led to its popularity. It's super fucking educational about different ways to stimulate the vulva. I highly recommend it. It shows you examples and gets you to try new techniques. I'm finally making my way through it now. So let's talk about boundaries. People do not get to abuse or cross our sexual boundaries. Things like protection or maybe specific acts we don't want to do, they don't get to cross those just because we have HSV. One of my fears was being viewed as a slut after diagnosis, but a slut isn't a real thing and that didn't happen. And if anyone did think that, I'd tell them to follow me on Instagram and I'd feel bad that they live with such strong biases based in sexism and fear. Now, boundaries can be hard to enforce. They take practice. So allow yourself grace, treat yourself with kindness and love no matter what you do or have done. The way you would treat your best friend is how I want you to treat yourself. I've gotten really good at treating myself that way and I'm not always perfect at it, but it's really improved my life. I highly recommend making a will, won't, want list. What will you do in the bedroom? What won't you do? What do you want? Those lists are fucking great and you can reassess them as time goes by. If you want to use a condom or a dental dam, use them, even if your partner also has HSV or doesn't want to at first. Never used a dental dam? Yeah, <laughs> most of us haven't. It's long overdue that we get comfortable with barriers that protect the vulva, not just the penis. I'm sorry, but why the fuck is the most available protection only that which covers the penis? My vulva pleasure and safety is just as important. Now. 
I will definitely admit, getting used to the idea of maybe even possibly considering dental dams and then actually purchasing dental dams was a mind game because they're not talked about. They're weird. I had to get over that. I haven't actually used one just yet, but they are ready to go and we are all about trying new things. Ask for them at your local sex shop or favorite online vendor, create that demand. And if a potential partner doesn't like your choices or they're not willing to experiment, then they're not for you. Good sex is about trust and respect. And yes, that goes for casual sex, absolutely. You do not have to accept someone or settle for less in the bedroom or wherever you have sex <laughs> just because someone accepts your status. You are allowed to reject people too. I think we forget this a lot of the time after diagnosis. You can say no. You can reject sex even after you've disclosed. I've done it. Listen to your gut, recognize that sensation, and don't let your brain override it. Our bodies know things that our minds don't. We have to listen to them. Okay, so in episodes six and seven, I talk about my HSV kit, a kit I have on hand in my home to deal with outbreaks when they happen so I don't have to run all over Kingdom Come when they do. This kit eases my anxiety because I know I can handle outbreaks. It makes me feel safe and prepared and strong, all feelings I love. So I did the same thing for sex. I have a sex kit. I bring it with me when I think sex might be happening and it gives me all those same amazing feelings. Safe, prepared, and ready. What's in your sex kit, Sam? Pretty simple, condoms of varying brands and sizes, <coughs> Ahem. dental dams, mouthwash, and a mini travel bottle of lube. Sometimes I'll throw a pack of wet wipes in there too, you never know. Remember that silicone lube I bought that I'm not supposed to use with my silicone toy? Yeah, that little bottle fits perfectly in my sex kit, so it's going to good use. Plus, having all that shows my partner I'm fucking ready for some bomb-ass safer sex up in this bitch. I haven't actually had to use any of it yet. My partner has been prepared, but just having it with me gives me a sense of security and confidence. And that is sexy as fuck. Something I should add to it is non-latex condoms, in case I come across a partner who is allergic to latex, but I haven't had that yet. And hopefully they would have their own anyways. A fun fact, is it fun? I don't know, but I never reveal that I have condoms first. I fucking expect the men I sleep with to have condoms on hand if they're trying to sleep with me. And if they didn't have one, even though I do, I honestly think that might even change my mind about wanting to sleep with them. At this point, where my mind's at is the only way I'm going to have unprotected sex with someone is if we are exclusive partners. They've been tested three months since their last partner and I see that paperwork, they of course see mine, and they are well aware that this will increase their chance of getting herpes, even though I wouldn't have sex on an outbreak. Viral shedding is asymptomatic, that's how I got herpes. This is not the end of unprotected sex if you get herpes, but that's where my head is at on it. The last thing I want to touch on is the fear of transmitting herpes to a partner. This is something I struggled with. And then the beautiful soul that is Emily DePass at sex education on Instagram, like education, but with an L, 
Um, she addressed exactly that by saying, I'm not a risk to be taken. I'm an informed decision. Holy a fucking a shit. She was so right. Fear of transmission is a product of stigma. I want you to fucking look yourself in the eye in the mirror and say that shit. I'm dead serious. I did it. I'm an informed decision. Internalize that shit. Even if you don't believe it right now, when a partner has sex with me, that's a grown-ass adult making their own informed decision. I'm not a fucking grenade laced with arsenic. That's a risk. Do I want to transmit to a partner? No, obviously fucking not. And if they do contract it, I'll be there for them if they need me. Absolutely. But I'm not responsible for another person's body or their choices after I have given them a choice that I never got to make. After I have taken responsible steps and had informed consensual sex with another adult. That's life, baby. STIs happen all the damn time, and herpes is not contagious 24-7. Barriers bring those percentages way, way down. When you're not having an outbreak, it's just herpes. It didn't ruin my life. It won't ruin theirs. So let's start wrapping this up. <laughs> get it? I did not get my sexuality back without work. Some people do it in a week. Some do it in a month, or a year, or five. It's all okay. There is no race. There is no finish line. There is only acceptance and growth. I do hope I help speed the process up for you. That is my ultimate goal. <laughs> so taking hard looks at myself, healing the internalized shame around sexuality I had before diagnosis, and allowing my feelings to exist without judgment, helped me get my sexuality back and propel it forward. This. Honestly, it's work I should have done way earlier and I wish that I had, but I'm here now and I know this journey isn't over and I've bounced back and forth a few times. I'm not fucking perfect. I'm not a glory goddess who never has setbacks. I'm fucking human. And the pattern I'm beginning to recognize is that something or event happens, feelings come, discovery and exploration comes acceptance and then I kind of forget about it and later I remember that process and realize how far I've come and how different I am and that is exciting to me I never want to stop growing and evolving as Michelle Obama says I never want to stop becoming becoming myself becoming new becoming evolved becoming different shout out to the goat go read her book Hint, it's called Becoming. Also, random plug, if you need a new Google wormhole and you want to step away from fucking content about herpes, check out Scott Carney and his books, What Doesn't Kill Us and The Wedge. Not really sure how this has turned into a book review episode, but anyways, he talks about all the cool things our bodies and minds are actually capable of when pushed to perceived limits. And he talks about learning to associate positive benefits with difficult situations, which is something that has definitely happened to me with my herpes diagnosis. Obsessing over support groups and herpes and sex Instagram accounts keeps you in the mindset of this is the most important thing ever and the most prevalent thing in your life. Stop that. It's not. Go live your life. 
I find this with social media in general, but it definitely applies here. While I do absolutely think the positivity gang online is so important and I am fucking proud to be a part of it, I am proud of my account, what you focus on will be what takes over your life. I fucking take breaks from my herpes accounts, from answering my inbox, from answering my IG DMs, from looking at Anchor stuff, which is how I make this podcast. I step away from that stuff a lot. If all you look at is herpes accounts, blogs, and podcasts, and YouTube videos, then you will always be thinking about how you have herpes, which is just not productive. I made this podcast to help people and myself to move forward with their lives. I have scoliosis. I do not focus on having scoliosis all the time because there is nothing I can do about it. I do not obsess over other people's stories with scoliosis. Why would I do it with herpes? I have it, great, I'm informed, moving on. Use these episodes or online accounts when you need them, when you need a pick-me-up or a reminder. Reach out to others who need it when you have the capacity to help because that is so important. There will always be people who need it. Well, I mean, hopefully not always, if we get our sex ed sorted the fuck out and people don't have to learn by themselves on the internet, like me, fuck. Or maybe herpes testing will get sorted out, and stigma will erode that way. Who the fuck knows? On that note, if you want to help sex ed in a real way, check out my Instagram highlight, Make a Diff, for an example of a letter you can send to your local government representative, MP, or whatever they're called in your area, pushing for sexual education change. Find out what sex ed looks like in your area. I know it's fucking atrocious and criminally outdated where I live. <laughs> God. Okay, I really never thought I would be telling strangers on the internet to push for sexual literacy in their communities, but this is where I am in life, and this is how we change the world, babies. Damn. <laughs> that was, like, inspiring. Fuck. Anyways, at you, me, and HSV on Instagram, shout out to her wrote a letter to her MP and it's a great template to use. I've saved it on my highlight. You can even send a letter anonymously. Love her. Love that. Love it all. And at the end of the day, sex is just sex. Who gives a fuck? Yes, sex is amazing and fun, but it's not the main thing in my life. I fucking love it. I think about it a lot, but it's also not a big deal. It's sex. We like it. We have it. The sky is blue and St. Bernard puppies are adorable. Tell me something I don't know. I don't have sex all the time. I'm not banging dudes every day. I'm not banging people every week even. I have sex when it happens. When I want to. When I feel like it. It's a great part of my life, but it's not the only part of my life. I think that's really important to remember after being diagnosed and worrying about your first time after diagnosis. It's it's just sex. Okay. <sighs> okay. I said I would share something very special with you at the end of this episode, so let's get to it. Oh my god, I'm so excited. As you know, I go by Sam. Not sure if you noticed me say that name a whole lot more in this episode than I usually do, and I choose to keep my real name private online. I say that at the end of every single episode. And when I first started the podcast, that's what was safe and right for me. It was a decision I grappled with when I was creating this initially because I wanted to be real. 
I wanted you to know that I was in fact a real person sharing these experiences and my knowledge with you, but I didn't want to say my name was something it wasn't. That didn't feel genuine to me. On the other hand, I was barely two months in. Uh, I just using my real name on such a public platform did not feel safe or right for me at that time. And I honored myself by not pressuring myself to share something I wasn't ready to. So, at the genius suggestion of my therapist who said, why don't you just tell listeners it's an alias? <laughs> genius. I say I go by Sam and I let you know it's a choice I've made. For quite some time now, that has not felt right to me anymore. And as you've probably already gathered, I'm about to drop my real name. For a while now, I felt safe. I don't care if people in my real life find this and know it's me, and if they're finding it, they probably have herpes too. Hey yo, what's up, nice? <laughs> to be honest, I still won't be telling my family. <laughs> That's just not the family dynamic I have or have ever had. I've never talked about sex with my family. It'd be very weird and not normal for me to start doing it now, as you may have learned today or the last episode, so I'm still gonna keep some things private. Um. Yeah, okay, okay, we get it. What's your damn name already? <laughs> I wanted to do this in a special way, and I wanted to acknowledge that public or online disclosure is a personal choice. It's not something you ever have to do. It's not a sign of being the best, most accepting, shame-free herpes carrier. It's a personal choice with your health information. And whatever choice you make is the right choice. You are not me, I am not you. Think about your life, your environment, your career, or job lifestyle, what that means for you. I'm not out here screaming from the rooftops every day to strangers and the grocery store cashier, Hey! Hey, guess what? I have herpes! I'm telling you. <laughs> because it's healing for me. And it's right for me. So, in the most dramatic and drawn out way ever, because this is my podcast and I can be as dramatic as I want, I would like to introduce you to me for the very first time! Please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Adele Fuzzy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I really crack myself up sometimes. Shout out to all the musical theater nerds. Okay, here it is. For really reals this time. Oh my god, I have like a giant smile on my face and I literally can't control it. Okay. Hi! Thanks for listening to Positively Positive. If you're new here, if you've listened to every episode three times already, my name is Sarah. I work in the arts and entertainment. My favorite movie is Mean Girls. I have three brothers. My favorite color is pink. I'm Canadian and I have genital herpes HSV2. Yeah! That was really fun! <sighs> I feel really great. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh my god, I, I literally can't stop smiling. Like, my fucking face hurts. Okay. I have no idea when I'm gonna make more episodes. I made this podcast as a resource to learn the basics of herpes simplex virus, and I feel like I've done that. I think... I think I'm just gonna go live my life for a bit now. But I do have plans for a second season, 
Maybe some bonus episodes for this season, maybe a Q&A. DM me questions for that. Seriously, DM me, email me if there's something you want me to talk about that I haven't already answered in a different episode. I might already have plans for a third season. We're gonna do something here, okay? There is a ton of incredible information about sexuality and empowerment saved on my Instagram highlights. I'm also working on a really, really fucking cool herpes project that is not this podcast. So I may be talking about that in the future. I'm excited. But if there's one thing that I've learned in the past year, it is that no one knows what the fuck is going to happen next. Thanks for listening. Share this link with anyone you think would help, leave five-star reviews, and follow me on Instagram at Positively Positive Podcast. Check out the website, PositivelyPositivePodcast.com, for resources, tools, videos, and more amazing HSV content. If I've helped you and you'd like to say thanks, visit the support page for options, buy me a coffee, join the Patreon, or get yourself a Positively Positive sticker. If you just want to say hi, email me at PositivelyPositivePodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail on Anchor. I'm out here, okay? It will always be me reading all your messages. You are not alone. I'm living Positively Positive, and you can too.